welcome to the CLS Experience. I'm your host, Craig Siegel. I'm a born and raised New Yorker who achieved success with multiple businesses, but I crave something deeper. So I dedicated myself to personal growth and transformation by revamping my mindset. I went from being unable to run a mile to conquering four marathons the following year. Now, I want to help others manufacture big breakthroughs of their own. The hardest moments of your life will act as a survival guide for other people. And I, I really look that. I, I find that really our interests are indications of our calling. Yeah. And, you know, in life, we may have several several callings at different times, but it all is kind of a call to create, a call to refine, a call to develop what tugs at our heart and have the vulnerability to pursue it. Understanding that you're not on this journey alone, that you know, how you're used uh, in a greater capacity can really impact the world. Um, but you have to be able to put yourself out there to do that. And you've done just that. 100%. Thank you for saying that. On today's episode of the CLS Experience, we have a very extraordinary treat. He is the most sought-after medium in the world, who has captivated audiences worldwide with his unique ability to communicate with the other side. Big facts. He is the star of the Netflix series Life After Death and previous e-entertainment hit show Hollywood Medium, where he brings comfort, closure, and hope to those he reads. From his early experiences receiving intuitive mental images at just 10 years young, to his rise as a sought-after medium in Hollywood, his journey is nothing short of remarkable and inspiring. He's not only shared his gifts with celebrities, but also with individuals from all walks of life, providing them with profound insights and emotional healing. His books, Here and Hereafter and Between Two Worlds, as well as his live show, An Evening of Hope and Healing, further showcase his incredible journey and the impact of his work. His approach is rational, comforting, and deeply empathetic, making him a beacon of light in the realm of spiritual communication. He's just a juggernaut in all facets of life and a terrific human being. Please welcome the insightful, compassionate, and intentional, the handsome and abundant Tyler Henry. How you doing, Tyler? Craig, thank you for having me. I, I think that's the most unrivaled intro I've ever gotten, and I expect <laughs> for every podcast I ever do in the future. So thank you, my friend. My pleasure. I'm, I'm so happy I did good by you. I take great pride in those. You're feeling nice and, and elevated. You ready to go? That's right. Let's delve in. <laughs> We're going to have so much fun today. And for our listeners, in case they're living on the rock and they might not be familiar, my best suggestion is to do a deep dive, play catch up, read your books, check out your shows, your content, all the unbelievable stuff that you have going on. What I think will be most valuable and intentional today is we should have an unbelievable conversation. Before we dive in, we're going to get a little crazy. You ready for me? I'm ready. Let's get crazy. What is your superpower, but not the one that most people probably think? Ooh, the ability to work on the go, right? Adaptability. I think it's a big skill and it relates to intuition. And I find that it's a big part of my job, being able to just kind of roll with the punches, be fluid, adaptability. Yeah, great one. I, I get the feeling that you've probably been asked that before. <laughs> you know, funny enough, I don't know. I, but that's a great question. I love we're kicking it off. Yeah. There's so many places we could take this conversation. And again, I want to encourage everybody to play catch up and so forth. I think your work is so fascinating. It's beautiful. It, it, it's There's so many, like I said, there's so many things to unravel and unpack. One thing that I've recently started to unpack is the concept of reincarnation. And, and we were talking a little before we hit record and I told you that, I, that I'm a student in Kabbalah Center right now and I'm really enjoying it. I love to get wisdom and nuggets from all sorts of resources and so forth. And interestingly enough, the last class that we have is all about reincarnation. 
And I just, I never looked at it that way. And I imagine everybody has a, a belief of what happens after, or maybe what happened before, or whatever the case may be. Um, and basically what we learned last week was that we were here before and we'll be here after. And the, the human experience or, or this vessel is temporary. But this is what I found really interesting is that one of the reasons why the soul keeps coming back is because it, it's on a mission to kind of correct some of the things that it did in the previous life or needs to correct and stuff of that nature. And I'm wondering if, if what I'm saying to you is, is like relevant or, or you've heard some of this stuff before. Yeah, it's, it's very, very insightful. And Kabbalah is rife with opportunities for learning. And I find it to be so fascinating, although my understanding is pretty liminal or minimal, rather. <laughs> but I would say uh, when it comes to the subject of reincarnation, from my angle, you know, I'm naturally met with that question when I do readings as a medium and connecting with people who've passed. People naturally want to know if they reincarnate, can they come through? And I've had my own questions regarding that. I've wondered why certain people come through and others don't. But in the thousands of readings that I've done, I've kind of learned that the soul is complex, that we think of the soul often as a singular unit. I am me, you are you. But my belief is that the soul is actually multifaceted, that the soul works through our body, that there are aspects of our soul that also exist outside of ourselves, as seen in the conversations around a higher self um, and all the other modalities of, of that. But as I've gone on, I've kind of learned that if anything, it seems that the soul retains its experiences in life and is almost like a library of information that both retains itself and is ever expanding. It's very intense and, and kind of uh, mind blowing, but I, I find that's kind of what gets reflected in readings. That's really deep stuff. And that's why when you feel or see certain things throughout this experience, and I'm referring to like this current human experience and so forth, it might feel like a coincidence or, or maybe like you've seen it or felt it before, but you can't necessarily place it. I imagine sure. that's what you're referring to. Absolutely. Well, we even if we look at the word incarnation, right, we think of reincarnation, we think of this life as an incarnation. But I would argue that when you transition, when you pass away, the moment your heart stops and you leave your body, as is reported by so many who have near death experiences, you begin a secondary incarnation. That moment, that moment of transition. So I, I think people uh, oftentimes think of it as more of a singular process. I view it as multifaceted, and I think it helps kind of answer why things come through the way they do. To your point of deja vu, I mean, I think a lot of us can relate to walking into a scenario where something feels familiar. Either there's a resonance in a place or a subject or a person. And I think that those are opportunities for learning and growth and kind of are very subjective. <laughs> yeah. I love this. What about, this is probably a weird question. What about coming back in a different carnation, maybe as a dog or oh. as a frog or, or something like that? You know, there are so many varying beliefs around when it comes to reincarnation, if it kind of works only upwards in consciousness, right? If a dog is, is born and passes, does it come back as a, you know, something with a little bit more consciousness? And then does that come back as something with more consciousness? The jury's still out, but I, I definitely find, if anything, when people come through, they acknowledge a sense of union with nature, a sense of union with the universe. And that really starts making the definition of incarnation very complicated. Because when they come through, they almost seem to have an awareness of the salmon that swim upstream or that moment that your dog sees you and gives you love. Um, they almost even seem to exist 
through those moments. That is almost an incarnation in and of itself. Yeah. It's very hard for us to grasp uh, as singular beings, yeah. but death is really an expansion process. And that's what I've learned. Yeah. And to be honest with you, my whole like belief system or concept of heaven and hell ha- has kind of been rattled over the last two weeks from just from understanding what you and I are talking about right now, because this is your you know body of work and so forth. But some of this stuff is new to me. And I, this is straight off the cuff, and I never even asked anyone this or anything, but like, what is your position on on heaven or hell? Sure. Naturally, so as a medium, I get the question a lot. And I think, if anything, a lot of the kind of archetypal uh, experiences of the idea of ascendance or <laughs> decline very often kind of reflect our own inner worlds while we're living. Um, I, there's that old adage of hell is on earth and uh, hell is often a state of mind. Um, if anything, when people come through, they seem to kind of reflect an interconnection and awareness. Uh, I attribute that to something called a life review in which they essentially see the ripple effect of everything they did and didn't do. And that understanding provides a, a necessary context to what they could have done um, better or, or what maybe affected others intentionally or not. And that seems to give them a clarity. Uh, When we talk about the question of peace on the other side, I think peace comes through acceptance, acceptance of how they lived and how they died. And I think that's the closest thing to heaven um, that I would describe a sense of just experiential peace. That was really beautifully said. So just to be clear, it's more of a state of mind than, than maybe a destination. I believe that. I believe it's experiential. I naturally, in my own attempts at trying to understand the other side, have asked questions regarding philosophy, like, what's the purpose of it all? Or is time, you know, uh, something that you can relate to? And anytime I ask these very important questions, they almost seem amused that I'm asking. They liken it to trying to explain certain things would be like trying to explain arithmetic to a squirrel. And I'm a squirrel. (laughs) <laughs> so there's certain limitations and I think what we can glean, but it all speaks to the fact that we are all human. We are all connected and we have opportunities to see each other in one another and each other in ourselves. And that's really my greatest takeaway. Yeah. So good. You know, I was always under the impression like I didn't want to see a psychic or stuff like that because I didn't want to be maybe manipulated into a possible fate because yeah. maybe I'd be thinking about something and I might act a little bit differently. Um, but now I, I'm just so fascinated with stuff. It's it's probably tough to ask you because this is these are your gifts and, and this is the impact that you're making on the world or, or one of them and so forth. But, but I imagine you've heard that before. A lot of people have been skeptical maybe to get a reading and stuff Absolutely. like that. Why do you think that or why would you say that getting a reading, maybe somebody should be proactive because it, it could actually be valuable or... Is it really a case by case? It really is case by case. I would actually say not everybody would benefit from a reading. There are certain people that um, just don't find it to be helpful. And then there are those who the idea of it, it could be if it goes a certain direction. So I find when it comes to readings um, by nature, everybody comes in curious, whether they're believers or skeptics, there's an inherent curiosity. And I encourage people to kind of view readings more along the lines of art and creativity, more subjective. We think of like math and sciences as being more objective truths. Um, The realm of spirituality and the realm of readings is very subjective. It's hard to quantify. It's ineffable. It's beyond words. And so I think if someone's ready for that experience, you know, uh, they can come and try to receive it. But it's one of those things that is very much on a case-by-case basis. And there's no one-size-fits-all mold for who's going to benefit from a reading and who might not. Yeah. Yeah. I know that, you know, you have some situations that are very well documented and so forth. Um, 
have you, I imagine you maybe had it. Do you, can, when you read someone, like if you can see that they, they really have some concerns coming up, can you see exactly what might happen? Or is it more like you should probably look into this or, or maybe get that checked out? Or can you actually, can you actually see like your demise is going to be in three weeks, something like that? So we did a thing and launched our first book, The Reinvention Formula, and became a Wall Street Journal bestseller in the first week of launch. The feedback is off the charts, and this book has 41 bite-sized chapters on everything to help you gain clarity, cultivate self-belief, unlock a bulletproof mindset, branding, entrepreneurship, mindset, falling in love, self-care, and everything in between. It's the number one vessel for all of your human development in one place, and it was published by the iconic Wiley Publishing, hitting number four for Wall Street Journal and becoming a USA Today bestseller as well. No big deal. It's very digestible. I had no ghostwriter, and it's jam-packed with juicy nuggets that will ignite that fire within. Head to Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and any way you buy books, snatch your copy today and activate your expansion. Juicy nuggets, you dig? Well, I'm a big believer that the future is not set in stone. And if anything, I think a good intuitive or really all of us have the ability to kind of get a sense of trajectories, kind of the way that things are currently forecasted to go. Um, if you kind of think of it, the analogy I use is like a Frisbee. If you throw a Frisbee in the air, about midway through in the air, you have an idea of probably where it's going to land, right? Assuming a gust of wind doesn't come out of nowhere and blow it off course. But an intuitive kind of gets a sense of keeping this in mind of, of this is the current trajectory. And, you know, what we do with that knowledge is ultimately up to us. I think of my reading with Alan Thicke, which was very famously documented. I took the reading very seriously and, and he didn't. And that was one of the most frustrating moments in all of Hollywood medium um, because it was something that really felt like I desperately needed him to get that message and he just wasn't receiving it. And then he passed away you know, tragically about three months later of this heart condition that was completely avoidable. So moments like that are frustrating, but knowledge is power. And I find that that um, can be empowering in, in preventing a negative result. So first of all, I'm, I'm so happy that you brought that up. So you said it, it was avoidable because had he been more available to receive your reading, then he could have been proactive and done something to prevent that. The feeling with that was kind of the sense of sometimes the messenger gets in the way of the reading or the message itself. And in that case, I think where he was hearing the message from was so bizarre and strange. It was on TV. It was on reality TV. I don't think he could really process it. He went in not sure if it was real or not. And then as he heard things, I know that there was compelling information, but he didn't know how to contextualize it. And his wife, I was able to meet with her shortly after uh, and connect with her and, and actually bring him through. So it was the first moment where I had a living client get read and then pass and then come through later on in the show. It was, it was absolutely surreal. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, obviously, you know, rather than be here in the human form, but just that your work is, is so fascinating and awesome. Um, last thing I'll, I'll say about this and then we'll pivot a little bit. What is the concept of death? You know, I think death deserves to be honored for what it is, which is in many ways an end. And I know that might sound <laughs> surprising coming from a medium who is all about life after death, but I think there's an importance on honoring death for what it is. In many ways, 
it is an earthly end. It is something that deserves to be honored and grieved. Grief is ongoing. It is a lifelong process. I really dislike the word closure. I used to not. I used to think it was a little bit more feasible. But as I've gotten older, I've learned that closure is a bit of a misnomer. That to have closure would mean that we would have to close up our love. And if anything, I've kind of learned that if we kind of grow through our grief, that we hold it differently, like weight. We all carry weight differently. We all carry grief differently. But it's a lifelong process and one that I think speaks to the fragility of life. And the fact that one of the greatest beauties of life is that it is temporary. And that's given me great appreciation for the here and the now. It's like me too, like even this conversation. And, and I think that the concept of death, although maybe it's changed me a little bit over the last couple of weeks, I just think that the concept can be a bit of a life hack because just knowing like you just said, regardless of, of what you believe in, it is an end to this. Yes. It could help you be so much more present or mindful in the moment and maybe live with a little bit more intentionality. Absolutely. And also an emphasis I like to put is also on not spiritually bypassing, right? Uh, there's this kind of idea that uh, even within toxic positivity, within spirituality, that we aren't allowed to feel, you know, negative emotions because we understand that there's life after death. And I'm, I don't agree with that. I think it's important to honor our grief as spiritual beings, especially if you have an awareness of a continuation of life or a belief in that. It still warrants honoring the fact that we can't physically call them up on the phone, that it hurts, that we want to be able to give them a hug and we can't. And nothing's going to replace that. And I think that's an important point to make. It keeps us grounded and uh, not get lost in the sauce. <laughs> Love that. With all the really, really cool things that you're up to now, what are you personally most excited about? You know, I have loved being able to travel the country. I have a tour up in uh, coming in 2024 of 31 different cities across the U.S. And I just love getting to travel to places where people don't normally have the chance to come to L.A. or even get a, you know, legit psychic reading. So it's a cool opportunity to connect to different cultures. You see in these events, people come in as strangers. You'll have 2,000, 3,000 people congregate together all hoping to receive a reading. And by the end, whether they have or haven't, there's a sense of unity, a sense of being connected, not just through our loss, but through our love. And there's something about that that's so powerful at the end that people walk out having a little bit of a greater understanding of one another, but also a greater understanding of what it means to be human. And I love being able to facilitate that. Yeah, beautifully said. Is there a right time to to get a reading or... or- should people consider like when would be the right time if somebody was on the fence? You know, I think there's a wrong time. <laughs> and that time would be if you ever find yourself uh, resistant to the idea. I, I think there's a time and a place. I would not encourage people to run and get a reading the moment someone passes. I think if anything, as I put an emphasis, even in our conversation, on the grief process, honoring grief, honoring the physical, practical, rational aspects of loss um, are, I think, essential to being able to live and honor them accordingly. What I find is best is when people have kind of processed a loss, they are not inconsolable. They are in a place where they might, of course, still be deep in grief, but are now thinking, okay, what do I do now moving forward? When someone's in that place, that's a perfect opportunity to get a reading because readings impart an opportunity to kind of honor your loved one in a greater way through your actions, through what we do. I always try to leave people with this idea that you can take the lessons that that person taught you and introduce those lessons to a world that desperately needs to learn. You can take that love that you shared with that person who passed and give some love to somebody who's still here in honor of that loved one who died. And I think that's a way of kind of keeping them alive in a different way. 
I love this. So let's just say a soul, right? They've transitioned. Do they know that they're like they've transitioned and they're not in a human form now? And like when they reach out to you or whatever the case may be, like they're very aware of where they're at. There definitely seems to be a very clear awareness of awareness. And that really, for me, when I think of what spirit body is or what it means to have another incarnation, when they come through, uh, they seem to just acknowledge I'm still me. I'm still me. <laughs> and all of what comes after is, is very interesting to say the least. But, uh, yeah, it speaks, I think, also to personhood. You know, when people come through, I'll have, uh, elderly women who passed away when they were maybe in their nineties. And I can tell that they're very youthful and would have been such in life because they'll present themselves as a 20 year old. And anytime I see that image, I'm like, okay, I either have a young person or a young ish kind of person. But the giveaway is always if I have a nine year old coming through and she shows me her and her 20 year old self, usually the attire that she's wearing will be corresponding with someone about 70 years ago. And that is oftentimes the giveaway. So I think a lot of it has to do with how they recall, how they project their image. And it all goes down to awareness, the ability to think and for thoughts to continue happening. And when they communicate, there's some kind of meeting of the minds that seems to transcend physicality. So let's say that soul gets reincarnated in a baby or or something like that. At some point, the awareness probably diminishes, right? Because they're kind of starting anew-ish. One would think, but that's where it gets so complicated. When we talk about this idea of the soul being multifaceted, in essence, I would argue you could live many different lives at the same time. (laughs) And that is so mind-bending and mind-blowing because we just think of ourselves as us and that's it. And maybe I'll be somebody else later on. But I actually compel people to maybe think a little differently. That life and the essence of life of which you are connected to exists within you and outside of you. And you are part of it and it is part of you. And reincarnation may just be a bit of a collision of all these forces slamming into each other and uh, dissipating. (laughs) I know we're a little all over the map here, but I think this is most productive because we're hitting a little bit of everything. Uh, and yeah. I'm trying to think of what the audience want to hear and so forth. A couple of oh. times you mentioned that we should honor grieving. And I know that's, that's, you talk about that a lot in your work, in your content and so forth. Why, why does that, you say it like it's not obvious. In my mm-hmm. head, it's like if you lose someone that you love, regardless of what you think happens after, you feel all the feels. Do do people not think that they should because technically it's not an end or what is an end? So uh, do you know what what I'm trying to ask? (laughs) Yes, it both is an end and isn't. And I I think I try to kind of make that distinction by telling people, you know, don't just focus on the fact that it it ironically isn't an end. Focus on the fact that it is as well, which might sound kind of anti-motivational, but it's not. I think it's important that we not spiritually bypass, that we honor what we feel, the fact that we can't physically you know, pick up the phone. And there's something valuable about mediumship, about subjective firsthand experience, whether you're going to see someone or whether you have a visitation yourself or an experience that affirms that sense of connection. Um, it all has value and I think can kind of aid us in our grief process. But it's important to not bypass grief. I, I think that's the biggest takeaway I've learned. A lot of spiritual people feel guilt for feeling grief. And I'm always like, you know, I've lost loved ones. I grieve. I burst into tears crying when I think of certain loved ones that I've lost. And I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, that's a testament to the love and the bond. I agree. I love yeah. that. Um, the term clairvoyant, uh, you are, correct? Technically, yes. I work off of intuitive images that are very strong mental impressions. 
So if someone, maybe they're just being introduced to this stuff and now all of a sudden they're fascinated and they want to maybe work, you know, do reading, stuff like that. How would you, what does that mean, clairvoyant? You know, I think clairvoyant is French word. It derives from a clear sight and it just refers to modality of which information can come through. Very often images will come through as very strong, active daydreams. There's a lot of really interesting work done by Carl Jung into his uh, ideology around active imagination. And I believe it has an inherent relation to psychic abilities. So the idea is that the more we kind of create and refine our own inner worlds, the more we can develop our outer worlds. And I learn in my own work that it's almost kind of like having a rich inner word bank of symbols. And I've created this word bank through kind of creating an inner world, an imaginary world of sorts um, that allows me to pull from and actually see commonalities in my inner world and how it applies to the outer world. And that's how I'm able to come up with extraordinary information that is mind blowing. Um, It's because I've learned how to kind of, in essence, identify in myself what I meant to tell someone about themselves. Yeah. And you were introduced or became self-aware of these gifts for you personally when you were just 10 years young. Is that right? That's right. Now, to be clear, you know, when you're 10 years old, it's not something you recognize as an ability. I, I unfortunately had a premonition of my grandmother's death, and that was really kind of the catalyst that got me on this path. But at that age, it was really something that just happened to me. And then from the ages of 10 to 13, it happened increasingly. I, I couldn't control these moments, I would share them with classmates and teachers alike. And on my Netflix show, there's actually an interview with my algebra teacher where I read her and she shared her kind of testimonial of, of how that impacted her life. So it was definitely a very odd growing up process. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And then I recently had somebody on the show, I'm not sure if you know her, or Laura Day. Oh, I've heard of her, yes. Yeah, she, she's really well known in the space and People said she predicted the 08 crash and so forth. And I, I was having a great conversation with her. In fact, we dropped an episode this week. And she said that everybody has th- this deep intuition stuff, but some people are able to tap maybe more into it or, or hyper-focus it. But it seems, I imagine people listening right now, it seems hard to believe that anybody has the ability to do what you can do or, or maybe what she can do. What do you what do you think in regards to that? Is it true that everybody has an ability to some extent to do stuff like this? Absolutely. The word intuition really at its core is inner tuition, inner knowledge. And I find that to be very telling. I, I think intuition has a bit of a bad rap. We think of it as this kind of airy-fairy thing that only psychics can tune into. But I would argue that there's a ton of practical examples uh, that we can see of intuition, ranging from first impressions. When you go and you extend your hand and you feel someone touch it and they give it a wag, you get a feeling. And whether you trust that feeling or not is up to you. But that very often is intuitive. I find that also, you know, as a pet owner, you can relate. When your dog gives you a little look, you have to determine, is that the I got to go potty look or is that the I'm hungry look? <laughs> and there is a distinction, a discernment that you must make as the owner. And I would argue that's intuition. So yeah, I think viewing intuition as a practical modality that we all can tune into is valuable, not airy-fairy, something that should be reliable, that should be something we can refine. I think the greatest way to refine intuition is truly tuning in to being present. It is increasingly hard in a society that has the beeps and the buzzes of our phones and our calendars and all of what we have to do, but learning how to truly kind of separate the wheat from the chaff to be present and to be able to discern one's own thoughts and feelings um, from awareness is really a key component to intuition. So mindfulness would be my recommendation. 
This is so good. And, you know, as a business owner in Manhattan, as you can imagine, if you're not going 400 miles an hour, the thought process is you're getting run over. Yeah. So I never took time and that's on me. And, and one of the reasons why it probably took me a little bit later to reinvent myself and, and find my alignment and so forth was because I didn't, and again, just to be clear, I wouldn't have changed the thing because it all worked out in the journey and so forth, but I didn't intentionally create the time and space to be available for divine downloads or intuition and so forth. But the pandemic was kind of a forced stop for me because I shut down yeah. my office for what I thought would be two weeks. And in that moment, I noticed that for me, and I'll have this now in my repertoire for the rest of my life, and I speak about it a lot, is that mindfulness was a portal to expansion. Because when I got really quiet and I didn't worry about anything else and my, my office was closed, I literally just connected. I started get I started being able to draw upon divine inspiration, like unbelievable ideas and creativity that it never had before. And I, I believe and I imagine it was because I was so mindful for really the first time in my life. Absolutely. It seems like the pandemic really for everybody had us looking at our four walls and reassessing our lives and having to process grief on a large scale and on a small scale. Not only were people having to deal with literally mass death, but the loss of opportunity, the loss of jobs, the loss of normalcy. And that put everybody in a very liminal state, a state in which we all were kind of in the middle. We were all mediums in our own life. And I think in some ways, the changes that you see in accordance with the pandemic um, in a lot of people's lives, I think is channeled. I think there's greater kind of processes that were kicked off for a lot of people by having that extra time to just sit and be with oneself and honestly reflect, what do I want? Is this working? And what can I do now? You may have heard we have the fastest growing, dynamic, supportive, and strategy-rich community in the space called the CLS Membership. We meet three Wednesdays a month virtually on different topics such as entrepreneurship, branding, money stories, building relationships, mindset, and a whole lot more. We have a private group where members collaborate and network, and we are joined by massive guest speakers who have personally hit me up on the side saying they have never felt an energy like the one we have inside our community. It's special and exclusive. If you're listening to this podcast, you're clearly a growth-minded, expansive cat. If you'd like to learn more, head to our website and check out the CLS membership. And also, get a little excited, you dig? This is really deep stuff. And, you know, for me, I was always such a, a mindset guy through and through. Hard, hardest worker in the room, grind, hustle. And I found success with stuff like that, but that stuff can only get you so far. And once I began to kind of surrender what I've been like taught to, to believe and really lean in and buy into some of the stuff that you're talking about. And I, I want to say, I, I respect your work so much. It, I didn't, I shouldn't have needed to buy in, but I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, and, and this stuff makes all the difference. And I think it's so important for everybody to become now, not everyone has to take it so deep or, or whatever the case may be, but this is real life stuff. And we don't live in the matrix. Well, you know, maybe some people think that we do, but this is really important stuff and it can add value to your life just by understanding maybe some of the rules or, or the laws of the universe, right? Like energy and stuff. 
Absolutely. You know, I, I'm a big believer on all different varieties of belief. I have people who are big into what I do and super supportive, and then there are people who aren't. And regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, I think there's something to be said about subjective, meaningful experience. It is the essence of all religious epiphany. It is really the essence of spirituality. <laughs> and I think it inherently has value, whether we agree with how we go about it or not uh, is a separate matter. But I think there's something to be said about the transformative effect that these experiences can have on our lives. If you've ever looked at a beautiful piece of art and been affected, <laughs> there's a whole uh, syndrome called, I think, Venice syndrome, where people who go to Europe actually are so often overcame by feelings that they sometimes faint when witnessing old pieces of art. There's something that really speaks to our universality when exposed to kind of that subjective realm. Mediums fall into that. And while there are objective truths, I think, to be gleaned, it's very much of how does it affect you? Where is the meaning in the words and the meaning really is the magic. <laughs> yeah. I love it so much. Um, this is pretty deep stuff. And again, I just want to say, I encourage everybody to lean in and see how it feels. Try it on. Um, one thing that you do a really good job of amongst many is we were just talking about it, being so present and mindful in the moment. I was wondering, do you have any practical or tangible strategies or ways that you're able to do that so well? Absolutely. When I was early on in my career, I was seeing a number of therapists and I had had a lot of success very quickly, was put on TV and was very shy and having to deal with a lot. And I found myself so overwhelmed that one time I went to a therapist and she started talking to me about visualization. Now, I thought it was the biggest load of fooey. I thought, you know, lady, <laughs> I'm here. I have visions left and right. You know, I do readings. If 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 I could really imagine my way out of this, surely I would be the first to do it. But she imparted on me something very valuable, this idea that we can be mindful of our awareness. She told me when I'm having a hard time to envision a stream and to envision myself watching the stream and being the observer of the stream. And within the stream, every thought that I have goes down slowly, some more quickly, but being able to observe the stream of consciousness versus being defined by the stream of consciousness was a very helpful kind of switch in thinking. Visualization was her way of getting us there and getting me there, but it's something that I've actually implemented in a very practical way. When I'm having a hard time, when I feel stuck, um, I implement things called cord cutting exercises where I visualize myself in a long cord that connects me to whatever intrusive thought I might be having or whatever I want to get rid of. And I envision a big sh golden shears, you know, cutting that sucker and letting it fall into the darkness, right? And it might sound silly and imaginary for some people from the outside looking in, but there is such power in facilitating inner transformation, inner change through what you can control, which is what you visualize. And what comes from that can oftentimes really help if we can make it a habit. That's tough. It reminds me of when I first started studying NLP, neurolinguistic programming, maybe about 15 years ago when I first got to Wall Street. That was really my introduction to personal development. And I was so fascinated that, wait a minute, we can develop confidence, we can build rapport, we could reprogram our mindset and so forth. And a lot of the stuff that we used to do there, and you just brought me back, was like visualization exercises like that. Yeah. Like literally. And it's very powerful. And even somebody just listening right now, they can, you know, try the one arm that you just said, and it definitely works. 
Um, but you have to buy into it, obviously. Yeah, there is a certain degree of, I think, um, just letting yourself go, surrendering. Mm-hmm. I always tell people, you know, on a small scale, I like to try on lots of different beliefs every single day, even ones that sometimes contradict. I'm a big believer on just kind of like trying it all on. <laughs> and I encourage people, you know, to be comfortable in their own lives, to surrender to certain things. What's the worst that could happen if we embrace a little bit more mindfulness? If you get something from it, then, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding to me. Yeah, 100%. In regards to energy and stuff, this is another thing that I'm really fascinated with. Um, and I know you talk about it a lot too. And, and just that it's not really an opinion. It's backed by science that everything is energy. Like this coffee mug is energy. How does that, how does the knowledge of that help you in your life and success? And stuff? I, you know, I think it's how I navigate life with kind of a, an energetic awareness. I think, you know, just as there's a degree of social intelligence that we all have, some more than others, um, I also try to kind of have an energetic awareness and honor that. And I kind of liken it to, you know, if you've ever been in a smoke-filled room, when you leave, you know, you often might still smell of smoke. And so I kind of think of that as from an energy perspective of as I navigate life, you know, um, how is this making me feel? Uh, but equally, is this intuition or is this my own thoughts and feelings? And I think that's a conundrum that gets presented to so many who have to kind of use discernment. How do I tell the difference between intuition and just anxieties and fears? And so on some level, I think an awareness of energy has given me an understanding of oftentimes what is hysterical is historical. And that's very true when it comes to intuition. So often I'll have people reach out to me and they'll say, for example, a a lovely lady, she said, I just met a new guy and I'm just convinced he's gay. (laughs) And I was like, well, I don't know. I don't really think so. What informs that? And she said, well, my last boyfriend, I was with him for about 10 years and he ended up being gay. And I thought, you know, maybe there's something historical here informing the hysteria. So being able to inform or know the difference between intuition and conditioning is exceptionally important. Yeah. Beautifully said. And also energy doesn't really lie, right? Like if you feel some type of way, I I would pay attention to that and ask yourself, why do I feel some type of way? Or even if you're around certain people that, lower your vibe or, or bring you down often. Like you got to make some tough decisions. You got to protect your energy. Yes, absolutely. Gavin DeBecker, uh, who's a securities expert, has a wonderful book called The Gift of Fear. And it really speaks to the fact that like getting a vibe is meaningful. It can save your life. And viewing it as a practical opportunity <laughs> for self-preservation, I think is essential. Um, unfortunately, there are so many who viewed intuition as just, oh, whatever, that's for ladies. Um, and then they pass away because they're not following those those inner guides. I, I think it's important to to use everything at our disposal to be a better human being and to stay around. Most people usually say, or at least that I'm around, that intuition never lies. Like, and, and I know from experience, like, or uh, do you think your intuition, your gut, or or what people refer to as the gut, is something similar? Yeah, totally. I think everyone kind of uh, feels intuition from a different place. Some are more gut oriented, some are more kind of head oriented. Others just kind of get it. Um, absolutely. I, I think looking into our own inherent biases is really important. When I do a reading, um, I really try to, at its core, determine is what I'm getting my own conditioning 
or is what I'm getting truly intuitive? Very often we have to also keep in mind, like certain people will remind us of other people. And sometimes that alone can kind of trigger a feeling of like, oh, this feels familiar, maybe not in a good way. That also could be intuition. But I think understanding the difference between our conditioning and our proclivities of how we're inclined to react versus genuine inner knowledge it's an important conversation to have so that we can figure out what's on one team and what's on the other. Yeah. Beautifully said. And what, and what I was going to say there is based on my experience, like if you ever go against my intuition, yeah. now I know better, but it always bites me in the butt. I'm always saying I should have listened to it. I felt it. And yet I went against it. Absolutely. I think it's, if anything, an inner compass that really never guides us astray. It's an opportunity, though, and I think it, it speaks to our free will and the fact that, you know, we do have freedom to go with it or not. But when we do, I think it just affirms that we have a lot more power than we realize that um, in a world that is really not controllable, we have control over um, what we accept, what we go with, and how we allow that to affect the world. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you had a lot of success at a young age, and how do you really prepare for something like that? I'm curious. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I came from a really small farming town in Central California. I graduated high school at the age of 16 with the goal of becoming a hospice nurse. And then by the age of 19, I had a TV show in Hollywood. Uh, my life changed so radically in such a brief amount of time. And for me, um, it's still 10 years later, it's so overwhelming and immensely humbling. But I very quickly realized, you know, that uh, <laughs> there's something to be said about having the courage to be who you are, um, the risk involved, and, and the same risk that you took in 2020 by kind of starting your life over in certain ways. There's a certain degree of courage that is required to be able to uh, kind of be who you are, despite the world maybe not always wanting you to be who you are. There's a famous quote. It says, um, you know, you might be the biggest, juiciest peach, but there's still going to be people who don't like peaches. And in life, accepting that uh, has taken some time. But when you're young, you know, it's one of those things that's very, very hard to integrate. I think that the courage and vulnerability to be you is probably the most challenging thing that I see for, for so many people. And I speak from conscious, took me 35 years I just consider the alternative um, in regards to where you're at now. And in many ways, you're just getting warmed up. What does success mean to you now? Success for me now is opportunity to help people who genuinely need the help and also free time. And it's a, it's a two-part answer because I found in my own life, success really has came from the ability to impact people who the world actually doesn't know about, people who are terminally ill, people who aren't celebrities. That for me is where I've gotten my greatest fulfillment on a personal level, knowing that I'm genuinely making a difference. Um, but equally, I've also learned that time is a currency. Time is a currency. <laughs> and it's it's one that even transcends money to me. I think it's something that is spoken. Uh, I've seen in my work the importance of being aware of the fragility of time and how we never know how much time we have. So for me, time off is, is one of the most valuable uh, parts of my life. <laughs> Beautiful. And also, you had some near-death experiences yourself a few years back. Is that right? I did. Yes. When I was 18, I had a brain cyst, unfortunately, near my brainstem that got too large and I had to get brain surgery to try to relieve the pressure. Um, that was a really game changing experience as I was just entering into adulthood as an 18 year old. My life was starting over. And at 19, you know, almost literally having to drop my old kind of name and be Tyler Henry, uh, there was almost a rebirth that happened literally as I became an adult. And it was something that really, 
uh, you know, cause me to look at what am I going to bring in and what am I going to bring with me into my future now as we start over in essence? And what do I need to do? You know, I think you found yourself in a very similar position in 2020 of uh, I've lived this life. I've came this far. Now what? And so many of us could relate to going through that during the pandemic. What is that? What were you thinking or what was going through your life as you considered the fact that maybe your time was running a little bit you know, was running out at, at such an early age. Like, I'm just gonna, what was your thought process there? Yeah, you know, I definitely got a sense of a rush after having my near-death experience. There was a sense of time is of the essence. If I only have so much time, if this cyst does indeed choose to, uh, you know, swell again, unfortunately, it was not able to be removed. So I lived with it thereafter and and still have it. And having something that could kill you at any moment really gives you an appreciation for, for being present. And um, I think that for me was, was really huge. <laughs> it's almost as a reframe, it's a life hack. Yes. Because I get the feeling that you're not really trying to waste much time. Yes. And, and truly, when you think about it, it's like, if this is all there is, what am I doing? What am I doing? Why waste time doing things that are not in alignment with who I am? Mm-hmm. None of us know when we're going to go. But in the time that we have, it is so essential that we create, that we create. I truly have found we are here to create. And however that looks, it will always require risk, but it is always worth it. (laughs) Beautifully said. So if I were to ask you, what do you think our purpose is? Um, Or does everyone have an individual one? Like, why are we here? Would (laughs) Would you use the word create in that response? It'd probably be the closest thing to an answer I would have. Yes, philosophers have debated the, our purpose for thousands of years, and I certainly don't claim to have an answer beyond right. those smart people. But I, I will say that I've learned when people come through, they realize their their role as a creative entity, that they created families, that they created sometimes careers or legacies that transcended themselves. We all have the ability to create in the here and the now. And I think what we make can act as a resource for others long after we're gone. And in that way, give us a second shot at life through what we leave behind. So I can't commend you enough for what you've done. I mean, being able to change <laughs> as the world is changing and change your life and change other people's lives as a result. I mean, you, you are truly an incredible human being. Thank you. I received that. Um, you know, I just, I was in so much emotional pain and spiritual pain for so long. I wasn't able to put it all together. I, I just, I knew I was out of alignment. And I started, I, I was not like diagnosed or clinically depressed, but that's how I would describe it. Yeah. I wasn't like I was suicidal or anything like that. I just, I was miserable. I was going, I was doing, look, a career is a big part of your life, right? Probably a third. Uh, sleeping is probably a third. So everybody, listen, like you should find what you love or find why you're here, or what tugs at your soul. And, and that was not it for me. And when I finally got quiet in the pandemic, I realized I had a choice, and we all have a choice and we can choose a different narrative and choose a different story. And we can start as early as today. And that's when it really started to get exciting and stuff. And, you know, people always ask me, like, weren't you scared to leave something that was substantial and do something totally different? The truth of the matter was, is I was petrified to go back and choose to be miserable once I had the awareness that there's more out there for us. And so thank you for saying that. But but I, I that's one of my missions right now is to showcase to everybody what's possible for them. Absolutely. The hardest moments of your life will act as a survival guide for other people. And I, I really believe that. I, I find that really our interests are indications of our calling. 
And, you know, in life, we may have several, several callings at different times, but it all is kind of a call to create, a call to refine, a call to develop what tugs at our heart and have the vulnerability to pursue it. Understanding that you're not on this journey alone, that how you're used uh, in a greater capacity could really impact the world. Um, But you have to be able to put yourself out there to do that. And you've done just that. 100%. Thank you for saying that. Nutrition Solutions offers the best healthy meal prep options for health, wellness, weight loss, and improved performance. The customer service and support at Nutrition Solutions is unbelievable and second to none. And when I travel for my marathons, the meals are waiting at my hotel. I don't even have to break a sweat. Even their protein donuts and breakfast items are made with fresh organic ingredients. I love Nutrition Solutions' reliability, quality, and all-around lifestyle that they represent, which is world-class. To get both physically and mentally fit, go to NutritionSolutions.com and use promo code CLS25. Thank me later, you dig. Uh, Before we land the plane, I wanted to ask you, are you familiar with that book um, by Bronnie where she was a hospice nurse um, called The Five Regrets of the Dying? Yes, I am familiar. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, yes. and I believe the the number one regret of the dying was that they didn't have the courage to really live a life on their own terms and fulfill their destiny. In other words, they were maybe just trying to fit in or play by somebody else's rules. Yes, as absolutely the case. You know, we are born into such structure in this world and conditioning and expectation. And truly what I found when people come through is that what makes us unique is our superpower. Having the courage to pursue that might be a different matter. <laughs> but so often when people come through, they see how much time was wasted being people that were not them <laughs> and feeling that they had to look to others to emulate in order to be something themselves. And one of the greatest things I want to impart is that you being you for who you are uh, is the greatest, most valuable thing because that in essence can break the mold, the mold that you and all of us were born into, uh, one that needs to be broken. But that requires courage. <laughs> but it'll be the most rewarding journey of all time. Absolutely. And what do we have to lose? <laughs> right. <laughs> This was this was really special. This was awesome. Um, the last thing I'll ask you selfishly, I'm just curious, what happens when someone's human experience ends? What happens next? I really find that they reflect on what it meant to be human. They reflect on their lives, on their passings. And I think when people transition, I find that if anything, their awareness of each other and themselves and themselves and each other really is the most human thing, the most human understanding we can glean. But they seem to transcend it. They seem to be connected to us still, but not limited to their human states. When I think about what it means to be human, I think to be human is to feel, and to be human is to create. And honoring both of those things in unison (laughs) is a bit of a dance. But in doing it accordingly, you can honor what you feel and allow it to be momentum for what you create. It's just a dance. <laughs> and that's been one of the greatest takeaways. I just want to acknowledge you. There's so much uh, light and wisdom in you and you're a young cat, you know, all oh. things considered. And it's really beautiful. Uh, I really enjoyed this. We're going to land a plane. We're going to do maybe a minute of, of a little bit of rapid fire. Just have a little fun. Maybe one or sure. two word answers and, and get a little nuts. You ready for me? Excellent. Let's do it, Craig. Okay. Favorite movie. Hereafter. 
your last meal on earth would be? Pasta. Good one. Yes. Favorite guilty pleasure? Oh, I got interviewed by Larry King and said popcorn. And that was a really lame answer. So maybe (laughs) edible gummies, edible gummies. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. enough. Uh, Favorite workout? Uh, the downward, no, downward dog. No, uh, laying in bed, flat, planking. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Uh, your favorite book, not including yours. Ooh. Psychic Bible by Genesis P. Orge. Okay. And last but not least, we're going to get real deep. You ready for me? Yep. Favorite musician. Oh, you know, I got to say, it's, we're going to the Beatles. I got to say John Lennon, probably. John Lennon or Paul McCartney, one of the two. I'm, I'm, I'm friends with John Lennon's son. Uh, it's such a kind of surreal connection to have. But yeah, they truly were more popular than, well, any of us. <laughs> Fair enough. I love this. Um, for our listeners, what's the best way for all of them to support you? You mentioned what you're most excited about right now. What can we put in the show notes? How can everybody support maybe even get involved? Absolutely. Well, I have a collective uh, membership service where I do readings virtually every single month in group settings, and people can check that out over on Fireside. It's the Tyler Henry Collective. But all of that information is on my social media. Um, I'm most active on Instagram. You can find me there at Tyler Henry Medium. And I just love getting to connect. And I'm so excited to share our conversation. And I think uh, I know a lot of people are really going to get something out of this in your light, Craig. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Hang up for one sec. I want to connect with you after. Tyler, I want you to know the definition of authenticity, intuition, and mindfulness. I can personally guarantee your best yet to come. Keep on spreading your wings and leaving your mark on this world. So much love and respect for you. Thank you so much for stopping by and dropping these priceless, juicy nuggets today. Thank you, Craig. I so appreciate it. That was so much fun. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Thank you so much. for. I I feel like my brain got a little scattered there. My blood sugar dropped. (laughs) No, it's all good. That was it was a little bit all over the map, but I I just wanted to be our thank you. That was amazing. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely, guys. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me on Instagram at Craig Siegel underscore CLS, the YouTube channel Craig Siegel, and our website CultivateLastingSymphony.com, where you could sign up for our email blast with all free trainings on all of our content. The best is yet to come.